0: I want to take some time because I want to show you some things in the scriptures concerning the building or the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the walls. Hallelujah. Linda, you really need a refreshing. (laughs) Stand up, honey. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. You really, Father, in the name of Jesus, this is your servant. Hallelujah. Oh, Rebecca, Sando, Rebeto, Rebando, Eshete, Mandro, Rebeso, Tonde, Rebiconde, Etaya, Mondore, Basa, Ela Molli, and the Castle. The seeds of kindness and the seeds of mercy that you've sown is not in vain. You will reap what you've sown. You've loved, you've refreshed, you've come alongside, and I'm about to come alongside of you. You're going to feel my glory, my presence. There's a new day and and, and even a new vision and a new strength coming into your life, says the Lord. Come on, give the Lord some praise with me. You know, I found out that serving the Lord is a bit of a journey. And so I want to take you on a journey today uh, about out of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 3, of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But before I do that, I want to uh, look at some scriptures. Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 6, if you'll put that up there. He said, I have chosen Jerusalem. Everybody say He chose Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is the city of God. It's God's choosing. It's the place that God chose. Now, I think we ought to pay some attention to the city that God says, I've chosen that city. Come on, someone say amen. Roll me. Next. I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. Look at this. And it says here, the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem. And God said, my habitation is Jerusalem. I dwell in Jerusalem. Now, this is not just any city. This is the city of God and the city where God chose to make his habitation. Next. Next. He said he dwells in Jerusalem and the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem and the Lord dwells in Jerusalem. Next. Notice what it says here concerning the city. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. Next. And notice this, what it says. It says... In the city of our God, God will establish it forever. The city of Jerusalem is the habitation of God. It is the city that God has chosen. And he said, I have established Jerusalem forever. Someone say, amen, O me. Give me the next verse. But you have come unto Mount Zion unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, as an innumerable company of angels to the greater assembly and the church of the firstborn. Everybody say the church of the firstborn. Jerusalem and the importance of Jerusalem is more than just brick and mortar. I believe that Jerusalem and the building and the rebuilding of Jerusalem is a pattern of the kingdom of God on earth. As we examine Jerusalem, as we examine the rebuilding of Jerusalem through Nehemiah, it is the establishing of the kingdom of a God on earth once again, which we are supposed to be about. establishing the kingdom of God on earth. I want you to notice what it says here. I want you to see how it connects Jerusalem to the church. Turn to somebody and tell them, you Jerusalem. You Jerusalem. Just tell them, say it. Meet Jerusalem. You Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Now, that's one name I've never heard anybody call their kid. I've heard some wild names. Tamika, O'Keefa, Yolanda, your mama, but never Jerusalem. I've heard some wild names. We ain't going to talk about that right now. I'll get myself in trouble. But I want you to notice it's more than brick and mortar. And this Jerusalem that is going to last forever. It's not about brick and mortar, but it's about people. His discussion about Jerusalem in the book of Revelation has everything to do with the church. Turn to somebody and tell them the church. I want you to this next verse. And I, John, saw the holy city, everybody say New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven, prepared as a bride. This Jerusalem that is going to be established forever, this Jerusalem where there is a pattern for the kingdom of God on earth, is not necessarily about a geographic location. But it is about a people. And turn to somebody and tell them, you are the people. But I want to go back. I want to go back to the book of Nehemiah. And I want to establish. uh, We're going to go on a journey. Is that okay? We're going to look at the city of Jerusalem or the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. This is very interesting. When Jerusalem was first established, and we're going to take a study at, 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 at the gates of the city. Because it's the gate of the city that you enter in. And it's out of the gates where what's inside flows out. So if you're going to enter into the city, you got to come through the gate. Turn to the tell me, you got to come through the gate. And if, and if what's inside the city is going to flow out. It has to go through the gate. This is really interesting. When the city was built the first time, there were twelve gates. But when Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter three, when Nehemiah rebuilt the city, there's only ten gates mentioned. Isn't that unusual? Twelve speaks of government. Twelve speaks of the government of God. The kingdom, the the, the king is in his kingdom and the authority of the king is in his kingdom. Jerusalem stands for the kingdom of God on earth. But when it was rebuilt, when it was reestablished, in Nehemiah chapter 3, there's only 10 gates mentioned. Not 12. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to get some of you real mad at me. <sighs> but it wouldn't be the first time. There are some things that allow you to enter into the kingdom, and there are some things that are going to flow out of the kingdom, but there are some things that are not necessary any longer. That's why only 10 gates were established and not 12. Like, here we go. Someone have my car running for me because. Us identifying with the nation of Israel, us being the kingdom of God here on earth has nothing to do with the dietary laws of the nation of Israel. How many of you eat pork? Well, some of you have enough sense not to eat pork, and I congratulate you on that. Has nothing to do with whether or not you wear a prayer shawl when you pray. If you wear a prayer shawl when you pray and that helps you to connect with God, that's fine. It's okay. But not everybody has to wear a prayer shawl in order to connect with God. You don't have to necessarily celebrate the feasts to be right with God. There's been a separation now, some of you are going to say, oh, I'm getting out of here. This guy's, this is. There's been a separation in the body of Christ through the messianic movement. The whole messianic. Do you know, I've tried my best to fellowship with some of the messianic priests or rabbis, what do they call themselves? Messianic rabbis. They think that us Gentiles are something less. They don't want to hang out with us. I know. Here we go. It's nothing to do whether or not you wear a prayer shawl. It's nothing to do with the dietary laws. And if you wear a prayer shawl, that's Okay. I happen not to wear one. As a matter of fact, I had one and I gave it away to somebody. I gave it to you? Okay. I did give it away. There are some things that are not necessary. But there are some things that are very necessary. That have everything to do with establishing the kingdom of God here on this earth. Come on and give God some praise with me. One thing you better make sure you do, that if you call on heaven, you call on heaven whether you have a prayer shawl or not, but make sure if, you got, if you're wrapped in a prayer shawl, which is fine, make sure you do it in the name of Jesus and not in the name of some ancient custom. I believe you can touch heaven. With a prayer shawl on or a prayer shawl off. If you call on heaven in that name that is above every single name. Now, I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro-everything. It has something to do with Jesus. I know I'm going to get letters, emails, hate mail, whatever. But some of those customs really are not necessary. It's okay if you like it. Okay if you enjoy it. It's fun. But not necessary regarding the establishing of the kingdom of God here on this earth. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. But there are some things that are necessary. And it is interesting that in Nehemiah chapter 3, there are only 10 gates entering into the city. And that which flows out of the city, which is the kingdom of God, there's only 10 that I mentioned. And I want to give you a little, we're going to take a journey around the city of Jerusalem. And maybe I can turn this into a a song like Raider, you know. Are you ready? We're going to take a journey. Going to take a journey. We're going to take a journey around the city. That holy city. Habitation of the Lord. All right, okay. Did you do that, Dan? You did it. You've got that little thing right there. You can do it on there. I know you. It wasn't me. <laughs> You're going to need my prayers when you get in that ring with China Smith, so you better b- behave yourself. Anybody remember Muhammad Ali? Remember Rope of Dope? Well, this is going to be dope on the floor. If he's got any sense, he'll get in there, do this, and lay right on the floor. No, thank you. But we're going to go on a journey around the city. Remember the gates... Are where you enter into the kingdom. And the gates are where the kingdom of God flows out of. Okay. Uh, can you bring up that graphic? Oh, there we go. We're going to start at the top and to the right. We're going to go this through very quickly. There's only 10 of them up there. One is called the inspection gate. I- I'm so glad that I didn't have to go through God inspecting my life in order to be accepted into the kingdom. Anybody glad? How many know you would have failed miserably if you had a, would have had to earn your way or work your way or provide enough proof or evidence that you were okay to come into the kingdom? I'm so glad that the spotless Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ... He passed the inspection for both me and you. Will someone say hallelujah? Jesus qualified, Jesus went through the inspection. He was considered to be the spotless Lamb of God and it was the blood that was spilled by the spotless Lamb of God, the one who passed the test that me and you are saved today. It's not by my works. It's not by my religious activity. It's not by my charisma. It's not by me presenting enough evidence to God to accept me. I have been accepted because the Lamb of God was inspected by heaven and His blood was sufficient for both me and you to make it in will somebody say hallelujah i'm thrilled on that day when i called on the name of the lord jesus christ i'm thrilled that the blood of the lamb spoke from calvary and my sins were forgiven and i was accepted by god almighty anybody glad about that Hallelujah. I want you to notice next is the sheep gate. The sheep gate. I have a little bit of a pet peeve, and I've been here for 30 years, so I can share it with you. One of the most important things to God Almighty are His children, are the sheep. I, I am so tired of getting around shepherds who don't smell like the sheep. I ran into someone and they said they have a thing they call them armor bearers. It's called armor bearers. And I asked somebody, why do you do that? Preachers who have people around them they consider them armor bearers. You can't shake their hand. You can't say hello. You can't look them in the eye. You're not allowed to touch them. I said, Why do you do that? He said, Well, when I come into the building, into church, and he said, I don't want anybody to touch me because if they touch me, I lose my anointing. I said, You must not have a whole lot of anointing. You must not have a whole lot of anointing. If you lose your anointing, you being a shepherd and the sheep rub up against you. Let me tell you something. If you're a preacher, a minister of the gospel, a missionary or just out there. Let me tell you something. If you want to present something that will delight the heart of God, wear the the scent of sheep on your garments. Get out there and rub yourself all over the sheep just rub yourself and when you walk away you don't smell smell like PR called dawn you don't smell like some some cologne you smell like the sheep will somebody say hallelujah and when you smell like the sheep and you present yourself to almighty God you will delight the heart of God with the scent of sheep on your garments Jesus was criticized for hanging out with publicans and sinners. Jesus, the great shepherd, smelled like the sheep. When Jesus wanted to make an impression on his disciples at the last summer, supper, he didn't do some miracles. Like me, I'd say, hey, come on, let's do some miracles. I'm leaving, and I really want you to be impressed. Oh, I would have reminded him of the few loaves of bread and the fishes and how we walked on the water and I would have told him all of those stories and remember raising uh, Peter's uh, uh, mother-in-law was his mother-in-law but Jesus doesn't do that you know what he does he knows he's leaving he knows he's going up to be with God the Father and he wants to go there smelling like the sheep And so when he goes, you know what he does? He doesn't do a miracle. He doesn't tell a story. He doesn't give another parable. He gets out some water and he starts washing the feet of the disciples. Come on, somebody say amen with me. His children are the most important thing. Build buildings, build organizations. Do all of the things that we're doing. That's fine and wonderful. But his sheep and his children come first. It's always about people. It's always about his children. Notice very quickly is the fish gate. That speaks of commerce and evangelism. If you're going to enter into the kingdom, if something's going to flow out of the kingdom, it's got to be evangelism. Evangelism and outreach into a community is the lifeblood of a church. Oh, it's fun to be here and fun to come together and fun to watch Dan try to set the stage on fire with all that smoke. I like it now. I thought I smoked barbecue ribs there for a moment. Dan, that's what we should do. We should scent the smoke. We'll really get a crowd in church. It's all, that's fun. But how we reach the community, how we love our neighbor, the witness we are on our jobs, that's what the kingdom of God is really about. Come on, give God some praise with me. The other thing is commerce. The fish gate represents It's okay for you to prosper. Poverty does not speak of your spirituality. It's okay to have money. Because if you don't have money, I can't get money out of you. And we can't support your orphanage down in Dominican Republic. I wish some of you would get wild crazy in your faith and believe God for an idea that would make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's okay. God wants to bless you in your business. God wants to bless. There are kings and there are priests. Kings gather so they can give it to the priests so the priestly ministry can continue to go on. I believe God wants to bless you in commerce, on your job, and in your business. Come on and give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. That's the fish gate. The next is the valley gate. Ah, oh, no, it's the old gate. Too old, you can't read it. There are some ancient landmarks that should not be removed there are ancient truths there are are those things things are changing things are shifting but there are some foundation stones to the faith that should never be removed for me it's things like repentance is something that is necessary in order to enter into the kingdom of God. We don't hear sermons about repentance. We don't hear about turning away from your sins. We don't hear about forsaking your sins. We don't hear about that anymore. But I believe if you're going to really follow the Lord, this salvation starts with repentance. Will somebody say amen? With me, I believe that you need to be baptized in water. Not sprinkled. Not run, not, not, not with a hose, but I think you should be immersed in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's part of the circumcision of the heart so you can be free from the old man. Will somebody say amen with me? I believe you ought to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost and he wants you to speak in other tongues. Now, if you don't speak in other tongues, it's okay. But I, I like it. It's fun. I do. I remember that night you, was it at night you got the Holy Ghost? It's, it's changed your life, hasn't it? You're, I mean, you're like a different person. And you didn't get it like, you didn't get it like. It was like. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. It was like a river that exploded, And it's it so transformed and changed your life. You love it? I do too. That's one of those ancient landmarks. Someone said, oh, you're just too Pentecostal. Well, maybe I am, but I like it. And it's one of those ancient landmarks that I refuse to remove. Come on, give the Lord some praise with me. The Valley Gate. If you haven't been through a valley since you've gotten saved, well, you will be. The valley experience has everything to do with the kingdom. I know that's one of those things we just want to put over here and never go through it and never go through a difficult time and never go through like a low time. I know we always want to be way up here shouting hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But sometimes life just happens to knock on your door and you find yourself going through something that you really didn't bargain for. Anybody here ever been through a valley? Anybody going through a valley now? I knew I had the right church. The wonderful thing about valleys is you can meet Him and know Him as much in the valley as you can on the mountaintop. As a matter of fact, while you're in the valley, you'll probably find, you'll probably, you'll probably have a greater revelation of His love and his faithfulness than you were on the mountain. Now I don't sign up for valleys. I don't like. Okay, Lord, here I am. Hallelujah. Put me in the valley. You know what I mean? I don't sign up for them. I don't even look for them. They just happen to find me. Anybody ever get found in the valley? Don't know how you got there. Something really happens while you're in the valley. The real you shows up. Not the Sunday morning, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The real you. I'm talking about the Monday morning you. I'm talking about when you went out to the car for the fifth time. And and it's empty because your wife refuses to put gas in the car. In our house, it's the opposite way. I have a gas philosophy that I cannot share with you right now because I don't have the time. That'll be my fifth book I write. But the real you shows up. And let me tell you, when it's all over, when you've gone through the valley, you come to the Dung Gate. And you understand that you're not the super saint you thought you were. Anybody ever flying high like, ooh, hot dog, Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing it, man. I'm, you know, I'm, ooh, and, and you go through the valley, and then it's like, whoa. You look in the mirror. You ain't the great evangelist everybody thinks you are. You're just a dog. <laughs> All right, as fancy as I thought, and you know what? You even smell a little bit. When you go through the valley, the real you floats to the top. All of a sudden you start doubting God and doubting the word of God. You're looking for somebody or something to blame for what you're going through. would always pick on my wife because the kids were too small, I couldn't pick on them. (laughs) And I've told this before, but I remember the day it's etched in my mind and she stuck her finger in my face and her finger looked like it was 13 inches long. And she said, I'm the only friend you have left, Buster. And you're pushing it. Peggy Graham Minor, she's not here. But she's a bigger saint for printing it with me than you ever imagined. I'm not proud of that, but it is the absolute truth. It's amazing those things that come. You begin to understand how dependent you really are on Jesus. And your religion is not enough. And your gift is not enough. And your charisma is not enough. And the accolades and the applause of mankind is not enough. That you come to a point where you understand without him you are truly undone. You stink so bad you don't even want to be around yourself. I mean, who wants to hang out at the dung gate? Hey, baby, I'm going to take you into town tonight. Where are we going? Going to the Dung Gate. (laughs) What did you do today? Oh, I took a walk. Where were you? I was walking down by the Dung Gate. You don't want to be around you. Nobody else does. It's a tough place to be. When all of a sudden you've been through the valley and you start going through this self-examination, you realize you're not everything you thought you were. But I'm so glad that that is not the end of this kingdom journey. Come on and give God some praise. The next two that I really like is the first one is the fountain gate. Thank God for those times of refreshing that come from the presence of almighty God. Thank God for those times when you can sense the rain of heaven. You go through the valley. You understand you're undone. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of the living God begins to flood your life and flood your soul. Thank God for that heavenly drink of water that strengthens you to go on and tells you everything is going to be all right. Come on. Tells you that God is not against you. God is for you. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Thank God for that of living water that just rises up inside of us I got a feeling that someone needs a drink right now and I'm not talking about Bud Light either Somebody has just passed through the valley gate to the dung gate, but you haven't got to the fountain gate quite yet. Well, I want to tell you something. The water has not run dry. The fountain of living water is still flowing and God wants to meet you there. Will somebody say amen with me? Where's John? John, come to the piano. Please. Fountain gate is that time of refreshing. The water gate is the washing of the word. The horse gate is military, the army of God. And the east gate is a gate that was never to be opened. They were told never to open the East Gate. The only time the East Gate will be opened is when the Lord Himself returns. You know, I thought about that. You know, there are some things we'll never know. Really. There's some mysteries, some things that there's no answer for. They will not be revealed until the east gate is open and the Lord returns. Jenny, I can't figure out why you've been sick. I hate it. I hate it. I can't figure that out. And I'm sure you can't either. I mean, you're a preacher, a faith preacher. You believe in healing. You've had to carry this burden together can't figure out why. It's been a hard journey for you all. Hard, hard journey. There are some things that are closed that we'll never understand. I don't know why babies die young. I don't know why people go through such difficult things. I don't know why people die at untimely deaths. I have a 99 year old mother in law who God is sustaining, and a 65 year old sister that's dying in the hospital this very second. I don't know. My sister's never hurt anybody, she's been a kind person her whole life. Right now, as we speak, my 89 year old father is here to comfort her. She's unconscious in the hospital. An imminent death is before. I don't understand that. There are some things, only when the gate is open, there are some things in our life we'll understand. I don't know why you got Bell's po- palsy. to go through that. It was a terrible time in your life. A mystery. There are some mysteries and some things we will not understand. I don't know why Eli's dead and your son's dead. I don't know why God could have just not just taken him and why did he have to suffer? you had to go through that putting a son in the grave and then months later putting your husband some of these things the answer is there's no answer and the only time they're ever going to be revealed is when that one gate finally opens the east gate at the return of the Lord but I'm so thankful that there's a fountain gate that can refresh us in the most difficult difficult times in our lives I'm so glad that there's a time of refreshing that comes into our lives. I'm so glad there's those times of intimacy and meeting with the Lord where He just draws near. We find ourselves going through something that we just don't understand. The enemy himself has done everything he could to withstand your lives together, bringing back memories, mistakes of the past, things that you thought were long forgotten. (laughs) But today, the fountain of the Lord is going to open over your lives. Day, the refreshing of the Lord will be your portion. The fountain gate is pouring out waters of hope, strength. Strength. <laughs> things that others have put on you about who you are almost marked you. Things that have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with God's purpose in your life. And I rebuke the lie of the enemy. You're a man of God. He loves you. He's on your side. You are capable. Lord, I'm asking you to put tons of resources and money into his hands. Bunches of money so he can come give it to me for the kingdom. Arbon de ribe sete mahai, hey, the refreshing of the Lord, the fountain of hope. Iriando ribakunde ribe sete, mando ribau shoriando lomusaya. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You all will never go back. Never. Don't give it any thought. The love of God is going to constrain you. Even when that temptation comes, even when you're reminded of the things you've done in the past, those days are over. Hallelujah. Because love is going to keep pulling you. When you don't have any strength, when you say, God, I want to give up, the love of God is going to pull you and constrain you to overtake you and from way down deep inside of you the grit and the strength is going to go on come on everybody give God some praise with me you're going to be drawn and constrained by the love of God you're going to find yourselves doing things you never imagined you'd do you'd be like what are we doing here Hallelujah. And and what God wants you to do hasn't even started yet. It hasn't even began yet. It hasn't even started yet. Hallelujah. There's a bursting. There's a bursting. There's a bursting. Hallelujah. Of the miraculous in your life. There's a bursting. Hallelujah. Of the word of the Lord coming out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It hasn't even been born yet. But when it is, there's going to be great glory and great anointing and honor to the living God. Come on, give God some praise with me. Hallelujah. I want you to stand to your feet with me.